you know, there's no bad day. There's, I mean, it's not that I don't have bad days, but you know what I'm saying? Like it put everything in perspective and I have built muscles to know how to handle tough times and adversity. And I'm not fearful of the future because my biggest fear has happened and I'm still standing here to talk about it. So it removes fear of some unknown or some future day of dread. Hello, welcome to Monetizing Mompreneurs podcast, where I take you behind the scenes with industry leaders, entrepreneurs, moms, working professionals, and amazing people pursuing their passions and going for their dreams. And I'm your host, Linda Mendable. In this episode, I speak with Kelly, the grief guru. Over the years, she has helped families who've lost loved ones and turned their pain into purpose. Kelly didn't grow up with visions of becoming the grief guru, but life had other plans. After losing her mother to suicide in 2017, she found herself swept out in the sea of grief. She could barely get through the days, and as she looked for help, she was discouraged when she didn't find the support or tools to recover. Her recovery came at a moment too soon because just soon after that, just a year later, her 20-year-old son, Quentin, died of an accidental drug overdose. Join me on this episode as she discusses her healing process from tremendous losses and how she was able to navigate through the hard times. This episode is truly going to bless you, especially if you're going through a season of grief. We discuss that grief is part of our journey in life. We can also feel so helpless in the face of grief. The deeper the grief is, the closer God is, even though we don't feel that way. And no matter how broken our heart is, the world doesn't stop for our grief. And that is something sometimes we have to come to terms, unfortunately. But in this episode, Kelly truly gives you the tools on overcoming your grief and I know it's going to bless your heart. So thank you so much for stopping by and listening to the podcast. Hey, Kelly, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Linda. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so glad that you're here because I know that you're going to bless our audience. So just tell us a little bit about you and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Kelly Nielsen, also known as the Grief Guru, and what I do is help people recover from grief and loss and get back to living a life that they love. That's amazing. So where did you start? Like, how did this idea or, you know, not even an idea, it's just like a life calling, how did it start? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I always say nobody grew up, nobody grows up trying to be the grief guru. You know, I wasn't a little girl like, one day I want to do this. But, you know, life threw me some curveballs and it's just in my own experience. So it really started for me in 2017. I lost my mom to suicide and it was horrible and tragic and it really knocked the wind out of me. It really shattered my family. We honestly haven't recovered from that. And I had a tough time with grief and recovering. I like to say that grief came in like a flood and like swept me out to sea. You know, up was down and down was up. And I kept picking up my phone to call her multiple times a day. You know, I just really struggled with how to recover from that. And I went to some suicide support groups and I found people who understood the loss that I had experienced, but they were all in the same condition I was in. And for them, it had been months or even years since they lost their loved one. And I really was like, oh my gosh, is this, 
just going to be the rest of my life. I'll just be this sad kind of broken person. But thankfully for me, I heard a woman speak who had been through the genocide in Rwanda. And she shared her experience of being locked away in a bathroom for 90 days with eight other women while she literally heard everyone she had ever known get massacred. Like they were airing it over the radio. And she shared her story of not only surviving that, but then getting healed from the trauma and grief and loss. And I saw her speak and she was happy and she was whole and she was full of life. And I just was like, aha, like, if she can do it, then I can do it. I had a light bulb moment. Like I swear there was literally a light bulb above my head when I heard her speak because she was the first person I had encountered that had been through something worse than what I was facing. And she was on the other side of it. So right then and there, I decided no matter how long it took, I was going to figure out how to recover from this tremendous loss. And I started reading and praying and studying and honestly, just good old trial and error, paying really close attention to how I felt and paying attention to the things that helped me and the things that hurt me. And I'm so thankful that I did because about a year after I heard that speaker, my son died of a drug overdose. So that was July 8th of 2018. And grief came in again for any parent who's lost a child, you know, and it wanted to sweep me out to sea. But I applied everything that I had just learned through the loss of my mom, and I was able to navigate grief so much more effectively. I was able to start feeling like myself so much sooner and kind of ride the waves of grief. I was able to ride them instead of them kind of crashing over me. And it was in that moment that I realized uh, this can be taught, you know, and people don't know these skills. This is not something that's taught in our society and it's so needed. And so I kind of felt at that point a responsibility to share what I've learned with other people so that when grief hits their life, they don't have to be just sideswipes. It doesn't need to take them out of the game. They can actually build skills and develop muscles that will help them navigate grief. So that was really the reason for it. And it's what I've been doing for the last few years now. Wow, that's an amazing story. And I am so deeply sorry for your loss. I cannot even imagine. You know, recently I lost a family member and that was my brother. And we mm. are only 11 months apart. It was one of the hardest things or the hardest thing I've been through, you know, even this year, because it was last year, it was October in October and we're going into 2020 and then all this is happening, right. which is grief as well on top of grief. So what would you say to people that are going through COVID that it feels almost like a loss, almost like they're mourning, they're mourning right. their normal life, right? That they had before COVID. So what are the stuff that you can take these people through? or us through and me through. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's the first is to even acknowledge that you're grieving, right? That what you're experiencing is grief. Because a lot of people, when they grieve, they kind of do one of two extremes. A lot of people either try to just blow past it and pretend like everything's fine and they either numb or distract themselves, right? That's what a ton of people do. Let's, let's consume alcohol or food or, you know, watch Netflix for and just kind of numb ourselves out. The problem is you're not resolving anything when you do that. And then the other kind of extreme is some people just really get paralyzed. They feel the grief so much and they recognize they're grieving and they just kind of fall into like a victim mentality that like, oh, this is hard. This is insurmountable. And so the, the trick is to 
recognize both and to live in the tension of the middle, to recognize that you're grieving, to give yourself some grace and permission to be processing and healing, but also to do the necessary intentional steps each and every day to stay healthy or get healthy. So the analogy I use, which is really great, is if you were in, if you had major surgery or if you were in a car accident, you know, you've been hurt and you can recover, but it's going to take time and it's also going to take intentional steps from you. You know, what I like to say is if you were in a car accident, you could lay in bed and just wait for time to do its thing and you would receive a certain amount of healing. But what the hospital is going to recommend is that you get out of bed and you engage with that pain and you work with that pain through physical therapy so that you can recover that much faster. And a lot of people, if they do physical therapy right, can even end up stronger than before the accident happened. And so that's the work I like to do with people. I try to say I'm the physical therapy for grief. You know, you need to encounter it. You need to recognize and acknowledge it's going on. And then you need to learn the muscles that you need to build in order to move through to the other side. And it's basic things, you know, boundaries and self-care and how to pay attention. I just get really hyper vigilant about what you're letting come in your environment, what voices are you listening to, what TV shows are you watching, what music are you listening to, are you taking really great care of your body, you know, nutritionally, what are you doing to support your physical health, because that is something about grief, it's incredibly holistic, it affects your whole person, there's not a single part of you that isn't affected mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, so if you're going to tackle it, you need to tackle it on all of those fronts. You need to pay attention to all those things. And there are things that you can do to help see improvement in every one of those areas. So it's about, first of all, knowing what what steps to take and then having the support, encouragement and accountability to make sure you're doing the right things day after day to get better. Wow. Okay. So I loved what you said when that you touched on something that is really difficult and it was to engage in the pain. Right. How does someone begin to engage in the pain? Like, it's too horrible. Every time they think about it, they cry. Like, what, what are the steps that they can take to engage right. in the pain? Well, again, it's, it's finding the balance of you don't want to deny or minimize what's happened, but you also don't want to ruminate or meditate on what's happened. Because I've learned so much about neurology and the way our brains work that we're really just patterns that are being played out each and every day. And every day you're either reinforcing patterns or you're building new patterns. So the point is to be aware what patterns are you building? So I'll just give you one example, one simple exercise is the daily thought control exercise. So what we have people do is they draw a line down the middle of a piece of paper and for anywhere from five to 15 minutes, but it's very important that you decide for yourself the amount of time you're gonna give yourself and you set a timer. And on the left side of the page, you write everything that you can't control that's really awful. So for example, you know, you lost your brother and this and that, and you acknowledge it and you sit with it and you look at that information. It's very much real. It's very much, you know, awful or whatever it is. We're not denying it. But then when the timer's up on the right hand side of the page, you write everything that you can control and everything that you know to do to take really great care of yourself and improve and move forward. And you commit that for the rest of the day, you're going to focus only on the things on the right hand side of the page. That's literally rewiring your brain to pay attention to what you can control. And it gives you a sense of empowerment and momentum that 
yes, this awful thing happened. Yes, it hurts. Yes, I'm in a healing process. But here are the things that I'm actively doing each and every day to move through it and get back to a healthy place. Wow. And would someone do this every day or would it be just once a week? No, every day. The best with all of these things. And I give people probably way more tools than they're ever going to use because I recognize not every tool works for everyone. But I always encourage my clients to pick the one or two things that they're going to commit to doing consistently for 30 days so that it gets ingrained. It takes 21 days to break a habit. And then it takes two more 21 day cycles to really cement a new habit. So it's really, if you do something consistently for 63 days, your brain is going to default to that without you having to choose it anymore. So it's really about letting people recognize the ones that they need to stop doing and then replace those with good ones. Another thing I help people do is just even come up with a framework, deciding for yourself, for example, about your brother, like coming up with the same for yourself that like, you have lost your brother, but he would want you to live a happy life and you're building a happy life and that he, you know, whatever that saying is for you, everybody needs to architect their own saying, but then meditating on that saying each and every day so that when grief comes in, you'll find that your brain will just kick into your saying. Your brain will start telling sorrow and grief the thing that you've conditioned it to respond. Our brains actually can be trained. It turns out we can control what we're thinking. And if we meditate on the good, positive, uplifting, forward moving things, then when grief, sorrow and sadness come, your brain will tell your emotions what they need to do, (laughs) how they need to fall in line. I actually like this because it can even go for, you can even apply this for like going for your dreams. Let's say you're in an endeavor, you're trying to go for it, but each and every time that you're live or you're out there, you're putting yourself out there, you get these negative thoughts, right? So you can just train your mind then to come up with that saying. So how would someone come up with like a saying? Would it be like catchy you know, a phrase? Would it be rhyming? Like, (laughs) (laughs) well, and this is, I'll just give you the example of the one I came up with for my son. And this is what I help people to do, because it's really important that it has to be personal to you. It has to resonate with you on a personal level, and you have to believe it to be true. So those are all important pieces. So the one for my son was, my son is not gone. He's just not here. I will see him again one day, and we will spend all of eternity together. And that little four sentence thing at first moment by moment and then hour by hour and then day by day became my mantra. And this is where I really knew that there was power in this. About six weeks or so after my son had passed away, I was driving home and this wave of panic came over me and all I heard in my head was, he's gone, he's gone so loud, like yelling in my head. And I started hyperventilating and I thought I was driving. I thought I was gonna crash or something. It was like, I've never had a panic attack, but I think that's what it is. And I gripped the steering wheel and I said, he is not gone. He's just not here. I will see him again one day and we'll have all of eternity to spend together. And can I tell you, the second that came out my mouth, it all left. The panic and everything left in an instant. And so I was like, wow, this really works, you know? So, and this is the stuff that like, who's teaching this? Who's modeling this? Who's helping people? These are muscles that you can build and you can condition yourself so that you can do that, you know, because gr- the, the most annoying thing about grief for me is that it's not scheduled. No. It's very inconvenient. It shows up at the most unexpected and illogical times, you know, and you have to, 
you have to learn kind of two skill sets. One is how to handle when it shows up like that really strong and you're in the middle of a meeting or you're doing something else. You need to be able to figure out how to divert those thoughts. The other side of the coin is learning how to process the sorrow and heavy emotions. And that is a little bit of a dance, but we have a lot of different tools from, you know, journaling and art and we have, you know, worksheets and just thoughtful questions for people to sit through and reflect on to think about if you have unfinished business or if you have an you know apology you need to say to the person or or you need to forgive them for something there's all those things that go into it so it is it's a very big undertaking um but it's possible this is what i tell people is that you know it isn't instant and it isn't easy but it is possible and it is worth it you know it's it's you can have a full, rich, you know, happy, joy-filled life after experiencing tremendous loss. It won't come automatically. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to fight for it. But I just want to encourage everyone to fight for it because you can have a beautiful Chances are there are people that love you and are depending on you to be healed and whole and healthy and also model for them what grief looks like, what healthy grieving looks like. That's part of the reason why we're such a mess is because nobody's been doing this well for years and years and years. Our parents didn't do it well. Nobody taught this in school. And so we've all just been doing whatever when it comes to grief. So if we can learn these skills and model it for our kids, you know, it doesn't need to be such a taboo process. And what gets me is that grief is guaranteed in everyone's life. You know, there's only two things that are guaranteed. It's death and taxes. So if you're going to live to any age, you're going to encounter grief. I hate to, you know, people you love are going to pass away. I hate to be the bearer of that news, but the sooner you can come to grips with that and understand that learning how to grieve, grieve is going to be part of your journey on this planet. If you can just get over the fact that you're not going to, unless you die very young, you're not going to avoid that. So just come to grips with it and commit to learning the skills that you need. Because the nice news is there are bus muscles and skill sets. And so you can be more equipped, you know, when you, when you go through something. And like we said, people are grieving right now with COVID. So I would encourage them, recognize you're grieving start to learn about grief, start to learn how to cope with grief and how to manage grief. Because then if you can learn the skill sets now, if it shows up, you know, God forbid, when you lose a parent or you lose someone close, like you're not starting from scratch. You're not so disoriented or dumbfounded. You've started to build some skills that are going to serve you well. I love that because I think that's also a lot of the secrets to success because sometimes life is going to hit us hard. Yeah. Right. Sometimes there's things that are going to happen left field. You don't even know how in the world it happened, but you're in a situation that's difficult. So when it comes to these situations, then perhaps it's not a death in the family. Perhaps it's a situation. Perhaps it's a failing business or mm -hmm. something that they, they're trying to confront and they're getting stressed. How can they recognize like, grief is in their life, they're getting stressed about something, how can they just recognize the stress? Well, grief, well, how I always explain grief is that anywhere you have an expectation and then your reality is here, this gap right here is grief. Like what you thought, what you hoped for, what you were expecting, and then coming to grips with the reality of what's actually going on, that little gap right there is grief. And so we experience that on varying degrees all the time, you know, in our relationships, 
hitting traffic, having a blown out tire. So and you can almost use the word interchangeably adversity, you know, adversity and grief, like these tough things that come at us are happening all the time. And as much as you choose to engage and build the skill sets to navigate those things is going to prepare you for the bigger ones. And if you choose to ignore or distract or whatever you want to do, that it's going to make you less prepared. So just for even people to start be being aware of the times when they're experiencing grief. And even if people would start to check in with themselves, like, Oh, how well did I handle that? You know, I had this disappointing meeting or this disappointing thing happened. How did I do with that? Because awareness is the first step. Awareness of what you're lacking or where you're strong is the first place to start. And then making the intentional choice that, hey, this is an area I need to pay attention to. This is an area I need to start building and get better at. And then find resources to do that. If you, you're so far ahead of the game, if you do that, you know, to just say, hey, I recognize I'm not so great at dealing with disappointment or adversity or grief, whatever it is. And I need to be intentional to start listening to podcasts or reading books or getting a coach or, you know, shoring up this part of my life because, you know, I'm kind of in a vulnerable position. If something really bad were to happen, I don't know how competent I would be at handling that. You know, and they're finding now that that more than anything is the key to success. You mentioned that they used to talk about IQ and then they talked about EQ, but now they're talking about the adversity quotient and that somebody's ability to handle tough times and to pivot and redirect more than any of the other determines who's successful and who isn't. Wow. So this is what I encourage people. Like if you're, if someone died and you're experiencing grief, you're learning the skill set that you can take with you for the rest of your life that is going to serve you so well. You're actually building the muscles to help you be successful in everything else you do in life. It's just that you build those if you choose to build them in the midst of grief. Because as you experience with your brother, if you can navigate things when you're grieving a, a loss, you can do just about anything. You know, I lost my mom and my son within a year and a half. I sort of have this invincibility now that like, what can you possibly, you know, there's no bad day. There's, I mean, it's not that I don't have bad days, but you know what I'm saying? Like it put everything in perspective and I have built muscles to know how to handle tough times and adversity. And I'm not fearful of the future because my biggest fear has happened and I'm still standing here to talk about it. So it removes fear of some unknown or some future day of dread. That's why I, I'm sailing through this pandemic, you know, a lot easier than most people because I just don't worry about a lot of the things that most people worry about. And that's available to everybody. Okay. So take us there. So let's say, cause I know that I am someone that needs help in this area. I need help in just having a, a better positive mindset, you know, because I do take, take things a bit harder than most I noticed, you yeah. know? And I don't want to model that in front of my children. I do try my hardest that they don't see me freak out or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) But I do, I, number one, I'm there. I'm in the first step, awareness. I am aware that perhaps I am a bit of a negative thinker. Mm-hmm. I honestly thought that I was more of a positive thinker, but then when my brother passed away and COVID, and then I ended up in the hospital due to stress because oh, wow. I was not able to sleep because I, I just felt this fear over me that I wow. could not recognize where the fear came from. 
Mm-hmm. Right? Because I thought I dealt with it. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe I was one of those that ignore. <laughs> so, right? I ignore. I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I, I can keep going. Yeah. So what would you say? Like, okay, I done step one. I'm, I'm aware that I need help in certain yeah. areas. Now what do I yeah. do next? I write it. I write it out, right? Yeah, but you're actually, what, we, what you're talking about is step two. So my step one is to help people create their framework, decide for themselves what do they believe and what do they want. But then once you create the framework, you have to protect it. So what you're talking about, if I were talking to you, I would ask you to do an exhaustive analysis and audit of all your external influences. What are you watching on TV? What voices are you listening to? And there's a couple things you need to look at. You need to look at what do I need to reduce, eliminate, or increase? Because it's not enough to just remove the bad. You have to replace it with good. So, for example, I have not watched the news since I was 18 years old. I don't watch the news. And I'm a healthier, happier person. People are always like, how do you know what's going on? I'm like, trust me. I know what's going on. I'm not out of touch. For me, that was a personal choice for me just way back then. That was like OJ Simpson type day stuff. And I'm like, I'm just unplugging from this whole situation. And not everybody goes that extreme. But I would, if you find yourself going negative, do an audit. Who are the people that you're talking to? What are the books you're reading? What are you reading on social media? Are there negative voices coming in? You need to reduce or eliminate those. And then who are you? Who are the positive voices coming in? Do you have positive people in your life? Are you re- reading positive books? If so, like, you know, how much of your day is filled with intentionally? I do not pass go until I've spent two hours every morning reading the word of God, being journaling, praying. I cannot, for me, that's just my makeup. Like I have to have those two hours to get my heart and mind right in order to tackle the day and maintain this level of peace and intentionality and all that kind of stuff. And for different people, it's different, but it's important for you to know for yourself, what does that look like for you? You know, what do you need to do to get and keep a positive frame of mind throughout the day? Okay. I loved what you just said. So I have like the reason why I thought I was good is because (laughs) I really did. I was like, I am good. I can handle this. (laughs) Was because I was listening to high vibe music. (laughs) And I was like, you know what? I got to put my vibration higher. That's that's what I got to (laughs) do. I stopped. I stopped. What was it? What did I stop doing? I don't watch the news at all. I I don't Mm -hmm. like it. I'm like, don't worry. My husband's going to come in. He's going to tell me what's up. (laughs) That's what he does. I stopped watching the news. I don't watch it at all. I do listen to podcasts and audios, but then I get discouraged sometimes. Like, ah, I'm not where I want to be. So I'm listening to positive things, but then I have a negative talk within me. So that negative talk, how can I change that negative talk? Yeah, so I would encourage you for whatever negative statement you have. So if you say, I'm not where I need to be or want to be, and this is such a commonly known one, like, thank God that you're not where you used to be, Yes, you know, and you're on your way to where you're going. And so I would say something like, I'm not where I used to be, and I'm taking steps each and every day to get where I want to be. And as long as I keep doing that, I will get there, you know, to just 
affirm yourself that you are making progress. It may not be as fast as you would like, but that as long as you keep committed to making the progress, you're going to get where you're needing to go. And it just, it helps me a lot to always think of like heavenly perspective or just have perspective in the big picture. A thing that I do in my head all the time is I kind of envision our time on earth as like a sporting event or our time in high school. Think about when you were in high school, you felt like high school was your whole life, right? And everything was live or die and everything was so dramatic. You couldn't envision life outside of high school because it was so consuming. Then when you get out of high school, you're like, oh, there's so much more to life. I thought that that was the whole thing, but it's not. That's kind of what our lives are here. Like, we get so consumed in our own stuff and our own agendas. And it's like, there's actually a whole other thing going on. And so if you can, and I use a sporting game thing. I like to envision that Quentin, you know, my son was in the game and now he's out the game and now he's on the sideline. Like he doesn't get to be in the game anymore. He's on the sideline cheering and I'm still in the game. So as long as I'm still in the game, I want to score as many points and make as many great plays as I can, because I know someday I'm going to be pulled out the game and then the game's over. You know, this is a time to test. It doesn't, nothing lasts forever. And so whether you're having a good day or a bad day, just recognize everything's in motion. And if you, you know, wait and keep doing the good things, you're going to get to a good swing, you know, sooner rather than later. I like that. You know, you know, I love what you said, like getting in the word. That's one of my big thing is just being in the word. You say you get two hours, like, okay, I do a few minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to say how many minutes. They're good. They're a good amount. <laughs> I want no judgment. But how, what do you, when you go into the word, how do you structure that? Do you do a, a structure? Do you do prayer? How do you do that? Yeah. So I'll give you a typical day and it fluctuates a little bit. And part of the reason I do two hours is I love reading. So I'm always reading like four to five books in addition to the Bible. And I'm always reading like a chapter out of each one. Otherwise I read books too fast and I don't retain anything. So that the two hours is time with the Lord in the word and reading my books. But I usually start off by journaling with the Lord. Like I have a conversation with the Lord every morning. I talk to him first, tell him what's on my heart and mind, ask him for direction and help. And then I go into the word. And more often than not, I'm always in Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, and I have my life verse, which is Isaiah 60, which I read each and every day. And then I'm in the New Testament. So I have like four or five little markers of where I am and kind of consistently always working through that stuff. And every day, you know, something or multiple things speak to me through the word based on what I had talked to God about ahead of time. So my time in the word is probably like, a half hour, 45 minutes, and then reading other books as well. I love that because my, my life verse is kind of like Jeremiah 29, 11, mm -hmm. because anytime that I am facing some hardcore difficulties, I remind myself like his plans are good for me, yes. <laughs> you know, because we can get stuck. Sometimes you can get stuck in life. We can see the prognosis does not look good, but it is good because God has the final word, right? He has right. the final say. Yeah. So I love that. So you have it structured. I am going to start journaling because I do not do that. I mean, journaling with God, like speaking to God, journaling. One yeah. of the things I do is once in a while, and I should do it more often, I would, because, you know, call the things that be not as though they are, which is written yeah. in the word. So sometimes I would journal, what if I do get that opportunity and how does that feel? You know, mm. and then I write it like it's already happened and you know, what's around me, who's around me, how we're feeling, how we're celebrating. And I go into that, but I have not done it to develop it as a habit, which I'm going to try to do because habit seems to be like the num number three thing. 
Yeah. Well, look at the level of consistency and what I've learned, what you're talking about doing is so powerful from a neurological standpoint, because if you were to do that for 21 days, you've now created a new neuron pathway in your brain. What we've learned is that the things you think literally changes the physical makeup of your brain. The thoughts you think about are creating pathways and creating new landscapes in your brain. So the more you do that, you're literally preparing your brain to receive that thing. Wow. So it's like taking vitamins in preparation for being strong. It's the same way. Like what you think about creates the chemical makeup in your brain to be able to do the thing you're thinking about. Because one of the things about your brain is it doesn't know the difference between what's happening in real time and what you're imagining. So the more you imagine a thing, that's why in the case of grief and loss, I really try to get people to limit the amount of time they think about the funeral or the day they found out the person passed because your brain doesn't know the difference between it happening all over again. So that's my problem with support groups is a lot of support groups each and every week, they're just rehashing their story, rehashing their story. And what they're doing is actually re-traumatizing themselves. They're, They're ingraining that painful traumatic memory and then they're releasing cortisol and all of the like trauma hormones in their system and they're unknowingly keeping themselves stuck. And that, so that's like part of the mission that I'm on is like support groups are not where it's at. You know, I'm accountable, like in community and encouragement is important, but it's, it's also important for your, your brain needs to see an example of someone who's gotten through to the other side, because there's another neurological thing called mirroring that if you see someone who's done a thing, your brain then recognizes that it's possible. But if you surround yourself by people who are stuck and crying and sorrowful, your brain is like, oh, we're supposed to be sad and crying. And, you know, our brains are really magnificent. And so I mean, it's you really can, important. You can see that with kids. A child yeah. starts crying and they all start crying. Yes. <laughs> they start yes, mirroring each so other. True. It's so true. <laughs> right? You can see that with your kids. Yeah. So I love, I love the nuggets of pearls of wisdom that you are laying on us. Thank you so much. I hope that everybody like picks them up and applies them in their life. I hope so. <laughs> Where can people find you, Kelly? Yeah, I'm the grief guru kind of all around town. And it was so cool. God just dropped that name in my spirit one day. And I was like, oh, well, surely somebody has that. And I looked at a red light and nobody had the domain. Nobody was that anywhere on social media, YouTube, Facebook, all of it was wide open. So I'm like, well, there I am. So yeah, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, the grief guru, the website is thegriefguru.com. That is the places people can find me. And I know people are like, no, Linda, don't end it. Don't end it right now. <laughs> but we are in Monetizing Mompreneurs and we are about to do a live. So if you're listening, just know you can catch more of Kelly's amazing pearls and more lives in Monetizing Mompreneurs. So thank you so much, Kelly, for being on the show. It's my pleasure completely. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have a chance, stop by the website at lindabendable.com. Sign up for the Blog Cure, which is an awesome, awesome course that I created that will help you set up your blog or take your blog to the next level. And join us over at Monetizing Mompreneurs Facebook group. I just want to say again, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.